Good morning. (laughs) I want to talk to you this morning about finding your burning bush moment. About standing on holy ground as we just uh, sang about. And if you have your Bibles, we'll turn to Exodus. That's the second book in the Bible, so that should be easy to find. Just begin from the beginning, right? About 50 chapters after Genesis 1, you'll get to Exodus. So uh, there's so much to be said here. Uh, but let me, let me just begin by simply highlighting that the purpose of the church is to call people to worship. That's it. It's pretty simple. That's it. Now, I don't mean to have everybody just show up for one hour a week or an hour and a half a week for worship service. Now, what are we talking about? But that really is God created the world and he saw all was good. Everyone was in his presence. And then we goofed up. Rebelled against God and we were shunned from his presence and things were bad. And ever since that, beginning with Abraham chapter 12 of Genesis, up until now, God is trying to draw us back into worship him. All of creation. Are we getting this? It's not as complicated as we want to. So every other thing is means and vehicles and tools for that one thing. The purpose is to do just that. Jesus says, make disciples, one verb, make disciples. That's the only verb that is in that whole thing. The rest are explanation of how. How do we make disciples? By going, teaching, and baptizing, right? That, that, is, that is it. And the disciple is someone who walks with Christ and through that life is trying to worship God, yes? And we do so here. So that becomes the very focus point of all of that. And I want to highlight that to simply say also that that's the point. The point is not to teach and train certain methods, certain ways. That's true of your children as well. Don't waste your time trying to teach them to be just like you are. Yes, they will not be that. You can train them and teach them to worship. You can train and teach them to know who Jesus is. You can train and teach them to have a good, strong foundation for life. But they will live it in a different way. Just like we did from our parents. Yes? Are you here? All right. So, the next generation will worship in a different way than we do. But if should be focused on the same person, work from the same foundation, have the same focus. Methods and styles are different. And we recognize that when we get to our burning bush moment. Let me read with you, if you don't mind. A text that is written about one who, one who became one of the greatest leaders, not only in, in the history of God, but in the history of, of the world, really, uh, when you think about it like this. Here's the preparation for that. Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, 
the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire within the bush. And Moses looked, or looked closer, or inspected, if you will. That's kind of the sense of that word. He looked and he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? But when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he said. Don't come closer, he said. Remove the sandal from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. My question this morning is going to be pretty straightforward. Indeed, everything I'm going to say is going to be pretty straightforward, more or less retelling what we just read. But have you been there? At this place? That we call holy ground. Maybe I could ask even in a different way. Are you seeking to get there? This is a real question. Or are you comfortable just living in Egypt? And some of you may be thinking, what kind of question is that? That's a good question. It is very easy to be comfortable with what we know. What we have always known. And, and what we just feel Comfortable with, right? There's a reason why it's called comfort food. It's what we know, yes? And if you think that is new to us, it's not. Let me just read just a couple of pages further forward when, when, uh, when Moses is now about to lead his people out of Egypt, of captivity that they have cried out to God for 400 years to be released from. And then they see Things going on. And some, not all, but some are saying this. Leave us alone, Moses, so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would be much better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out in the wilderness or in the unknown. I hope we're hearing this, friends. Have you been there on that holy place? You know, Moses didn't have to go. It, it's one of these things. It's a lot easier just to do what you always done. He was with Pharaoh. He was in the palace. There was no reason for them to, for him to go, even if he had, even if he had done what he did, so he had to be in the wilderness or in the desert. Be easy for him also to stay there than to go back and get the people. But Moses was not satisfied. He was looking for God's purpose in his life. Some of you think, well, you know, I'm getting up in age. Moses' life was 80 years old, friends. Yes? We call that up in age, right? At the time of the bush 
If, if it's true what, what Acts says, if we take it to be, he was 40 years old when, when he messed up, and then he, he was 40 years in Midian. And so here is what we have right here. So uh, that's the story. For those of you who may not know it, or if you're following along uh, from someplace else than here, uh, on vacation or at home, wherever you might be, Here's the story, right? So, so Pharaoh had, had put out this edict that every male-born child uh, among the Jews who were, who were slaves in Egypt uh, had to be put to death by being drowned in the Nile. So Moses was born. His mother kept him. She finally put him in, in a basket and just sailed him down uh, the Nile. And he was picked up and got to the court. He was raised then uh, in Pharaoh's court. And it's a longer story to that. You can read about it uh, in the first couple of chapters of, of uh, Exodus. So he grew up there. Things were great. Everything was good. He was used to having the servant on every finger. He was used to just kind of thinking about stuff and it will happen for him. You know, a hard day's work was to race a few carriers, right? And just to have some fun. And then all of a sudden, he's in the desert. Things happen. We had to flee. And now he is in the desert taking care of sheep. Not likely that he even knew anyone doing that when he was in Pharaoh's court. But there was a purpose. Just like there always is a purpose when God sends us out into the wilderness. Some of you here might feel that you are in the wilderness right now. And some of you may feel if you're listening that I've been there for a long time. I'm ready to get out of the wilderness. But don't miss this, friends. God always tests his people through wilderness experiences. There was a purpose for Moses to be where he was. And so great personalities, and we shouldn't be all that surprised about that, are often prepared for the great things that they do through difficult desert-type Wilderness-like type experiences. If you've ever read a bibliography, I mean a biography of, of a great person who had done tremendous things, you will always and most always at least see them outline very hard times in their lives. And that's certainly true of, of the Bible and all the, the characters you see there. Just go from the beginning and, and look at, at Abraham. Right, Abraham, who had to get out into into the unknown, not knowing what in the world was going to happen, before he became the father of faith. Not only is he considered the father of faith for Christians, but also for Jews and and even for Muslims. Think about Jacob, who had to flee into the strange and foreign land before he was counted among the patriarchs. Moses, we hear about him here. And, and not the least when we think about God's own people, 40 years in the desert before they could enter the promised land. And if we think that's not enough, think of Jesus, who more than anyone else that we know were tempted in the strongest way for 40 days in the wilderness. Trying to overcome temptation. 
No, he, he was hungry, hadn't eaten for 40 days, and he saw a stone. He said, I can make that bread. That was a big temptation. He, he knew he had power. He said, I could throw myself out from the, from the peak of the temple and fall down. God is going to rescue me, send his angels. Nothing will happen. 40 days, and he was ready. He walked through and came to the point where the Bible says that he, he conquered the temptations. He conquered the devil, and God's angels came to serve him. Some of you will remember that Jesus' half-brother James says something very similar to that when he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres or endures through trials because when they have stood the test, they will have the crown of life. I hope we're getting this. Are we, are we understanding the power that is going, uh, that is being presented here to us? Don't discard the purpose of your wilderness. Don't. It's there to make you stronger, not to bring you down, but to make you stronger and more focused. And that's true for each person, but it's true also for us as a church, yes? I should have you all stand up and say, we are on our way through the desert to the promised land, yes? First Baptist Church, Louisville, what? We are on the way to the promised land. Power stuff that is right here. Moses saw something. I'm trying to read this from a psychological perspective and just envision what it might be. If you kind of get under the story, so to speak. Lived in the palace. Adored by everyone. Now, he's taking care of sheep and goats. In the desert. I can easily imagine how the last thing on his mind was, I think I'm going to see a burning bush today. God will reveal himself in this miraculous way. No, it's much easier to imagine that he felt kind of put aside, that it's no longer kind of really important anymore. I used to be there. Now I'm reduced to someone who's looking out for animals in a wilderness that nobody even come to. I had my chance. Can you feel the pain? But then, then suddenly in the midst of that misery, if you will, in the midst of wilderness, God shows up. Maybe when he anticipated the least, he had come to the far end of the wilderness, it says. He saw something. God had not forgotten him. I I want you to notice what is happening here. It's, It's a really kind of intriguing development that we see in these just few verses. I just read five verses. God revealed himself to Moses in a, in a flame of fire within the bush, the text says. And when he looked closer, that's the sense of that word. 
when he didn't just notice, when he looked closer, he saw that the bush was burning without being consumed. And then he says, let me go there to see this remarkable sight. And when the Lord saw that he had gone, the Lord cried out, Moses, Moses. Are we, are we hearing this? Moses saw. He looked further. He walks over there to see what it is. And then God speaks. Friends, that how you will get your burning bush moment as well. Think about what would have happened if, if Moses missed it. Or maybe even dismissed it. Like that's nothing. It's probably just the sun being low and it's shining through the bush. And, and it just looks like, you know, I'm not going to go over there. Or if he just had been so depressed and, and in his own kind of uh, difficulty and pain and, and thought through what in the world uh, am I doing out here? Why am I experiencing these things? I could have been all. And so, and so he would have missed it because he didn't look up. But thankfully, thankfully, that's not what captured him. He was looking up. He was looking out. He was looking for God. In some way or another, he saw something. He didn't know what to look for. He wasn't sure. There was the last thing I imagined would be that. But he was looking for God. And what he saw changed everything. Has that happened to you sometimes? Just be honest. That you missed what was right in front of you. It is not difficult to imagine that it could. This story about Moses in the desert is a tremendous, colossal, if you will, challenge to us today. We live in a time when, when it seems that, that God had become silent. You know, if you walked 40 years in the desert, you would think God has become silent, yes? We live in a time when it seems that God and the gospel and the church has less impact in society than it used to have. But this story talks to us about opening our eyes and looking around and looking for the bush that God may have lit for you. And for us, for that matter, it's up to us to notice it. So I have to ask again. I have to ask myself that plenty of time, even when I prepared this. Am I looking for that burning bush moment? How can I possibly just speak about this if I'm not looking for that? God has lit a fire. 
And if you don't see it, do what Moses did. Move closer. Move closer. If you look at the text again, not only did he see it, he saw it at the far end of the, of the desert, but he looked closer. It's not enough that he concluded something was going on over there. That's okay, you know. But he said, I, I got to look into this. wanted to see might this be God is it what I think it is is it what it could be he looked closer yeah he could have concluded probably nothing we sometimes get to that don't we you can think of that spiritually you have asked God For times when he would open doors for you to share your testimony with someone or just talk a word about Jesus to someone. And and then here it is, wide open doors and you don't either see it or you get timid right at that moment and doesn't do it. And you wonder, oh, I missed the door. But you don't even have to be spiritualizing it or or thinking about it in spiritual terms. Just think about it in in other terms. You prayed about something, you know, in in the biggest way for a vision from God or kind of a a, a reflecting, just reflecting. It doesn't even have to be a prayer, just reflecting on things. And God gives you this amazing idea, this new way of looking at things that open all kinds of doors and you kind of brush it off and move on. How many of us have not had ideas that really were good? And in hindsight, we should have acted on it, but we didn't. Yes. That's what could have been the situation right here. So he looked closer and he got closer. He said, let me walk all the way over there. To see, And that's when God called out, cried out, Moses, Moses, you're now entering my presence. When God saw that he was acting on what God was doing, God said, you're entering my presence. You're on holy ground. This is a holy moment. Don't treat it like just another moment. I think this tells us that God desires for us to act on the things that he shows us. When you do, friends, you will hear him speak. Yes? That's when we hear him speak. We let, let us just move on pretty quickly and, and notice what is going on here. That Moses' fruitfulness changed in that moment just like ours will. When God called him, in that moment, everything changed, not only for him, but for God's people. He became the greatest leader that that the world had known at at that time, taking a whole people, million-plus people, maybe two or three. You you look it up in in the book of Numbers, and you'll see uh, the numbers that go out are enormous. 
Just check that out and see everything changed. Don't miss that perspective. When God calls, when he calls you, when he gives you that prompting, when he puts you in that burning bush moment, that's when everything will change when you act and go look at it. You know, most people are fascinated by fire. I don't know what it is, but there's something fascinating about fire. And that's also why God's fire is so absolutely necessary in the Christian church. It just is. Every time throughout history where God has done a great move, if you will, it is because, it has been because his fire was leading people in new ways. Outpouring of the power. And you say, how do I find that? That is not unknown to us. It is through Jesus Christ who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and power. Or fire, if you will. It's John the Baptist that puts it that way. He says, I will baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes someone who is stronger than I. And he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. Right there. The new life in Christ is a life that is invigorated by the fire of God. It is a life of warmth. It's a life of fellowship. It's a life of, of love. A new life is a life that spreads warmth. Because, what does it say? I have come to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Question is, friends, if you touched your life. It's not rhetorical, really. The real question, sit at home, wherever you are on vacation. It's a real question. Just like God called then, he calls now. Some of you know there was a famed evangelist in the 19th century in the U.S. 19th century is 1800 and something, yes? His name was D.L. Moody. From Chicago, many of you will see that. His church uh, is still there if, if you go there. D.L. Moody speaks of a special evening when he was with several others, Wesley and others. And he says like this, and I'm quoting, I was crying out all the time to God that he would fill me with his spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom even refer to it. It almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience which he never spoke of for 40 years, 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me 
And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I'm crying out to God. I said, God, give me that experience that is so powerful that I have to ask you to stay your hand. Is that not what you want? Is that not what we want, really? When everything is said and done, is that not exactly what we want? An outpouring of God's fire that, that warms without consuming, that melts away all this frigidity, all this coldness that separates people and warms us up and softens the hardness because it's fire that does not consume but just brings the presence of God we need an encounter with God like that friends we do I could say a lot more but I'm looking at the clock and we don't want to put a stop to what God is doing I am going to ask you though to act on this not just see not just look a little bit, but to act. Let me go over there and see what's happening. We're in this time of prayer, also called it Lent, preparing ourselves for his coming, his death and resurrection. Let's stand, friends. If some of you need to grab someone's hand and just ask for God to pour out his spirit, come here and kneel. Do it where you are. Kneel in the pew right there. If you're at home, do the exact same thing, whatever. Give us a call. If you're here and you want to talk to someone afterwards, Lord, we want just that. We are not ready for you to stay your hand at this point. We'll sing, we'll pray. And this is open if you want to be part of our church, if you want to come and say, I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. If you just say, I got to pray. My feet are on holy ground right now. I need to pray. This is your moment, friends. Let's spend it wisely.